Hi, voice teachers. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast is all about working with young boy singers. We're talking strategies for before, during, and after the big voice change. My special guest is Roland Fix. He's a wonderful performer and an amazing educator. And Roland's going to share some great insight and strategies about this really interesting and sometimes awkward time in uh, a singer's life. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast. Resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. I am sitting here with my wonderful friend, colleague, and guest today, uh, Mr. Roland Fix, who, by the way, is my favorite baritone in the <laughs> whole world. Right. Not that I know a lot of baritones, but there we go. You're my favorite. Thanks. <laughs> so today we're talking about um, working with our young singers, our boys, and dealing with things like voice change and uh, just different strategies. But first, I want everybody to know a little bit about you. So you were born in Germany, and you studied uh, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And when did you when did you come to Canada? Well, I was a little boy. My, I was two and a half years old when my parents immigrated to Canada. Oh, okay. But they immigrated twice, but that's be once before I was born, and then they came uh, back. And oh, then I, I see. So okay. That's another story. Um, so I grew up in Canada. I grew up bilingually, German-speaking and oh, English-speaking. Wow. Um, and yeah, I, I had I, I started studying singing at a quite a young age, probably eight years old. Um, and my mom and both my parents have no musical training or background. Really? None at all. Um, my sister's nine years older than I am, so she had been taking piano lessons and singing lessons, and I grew up sort of listening to that. Right. And I remember. I got started singing because my, my sister one day and I were alone in the house, mom and dad were out doing something, and she said to me, let's learn a duet and surprise mom and dad. And I, I must have been like seven or just about eight at that, at that point in time. So we did, we learned, um, I think we, it was The Water is Wide or one of oh, these folk nice. songs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we sang it for them and my mom, my mom was like, you know, all, got all teary eyed and thought that was so wonderful and she and she listened to things like the Vienna Choir Boys mm. and all those sorts of records in the house um, so she got kind of excited and then thought I should I should I should pursue some lessons as well so she was the one that instigated the music lessons. yeah absolutely that oh, was nice. mom that was all about mom and uh, how did you feel about singing lessons did you did it you felt enjoy pretty them? natural it yeah. never it never you know I had a cousin who's a few years older than me who had done singing as well and it was all quite normal. It, it right. never dawned on me that it was like I would have a reason to resist. Right. Yeah. And and when did you know for you? Uh, well, since we're talking about young voices, do you remember what you went through, like through your voice change? Did you study through the voice change? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I had um, this lovely lady in, in. I grew up in Regina, and uh, this lovely lady who was considered to be a. a Good voice teacher, her sing her singers and students were quite successful at festivals and those sorts of things. So that's where mom and dad sent me for singing lessons. And um, in hindsight, you know, after you sort of have all the experiences you do in life, I, I quickly began to realize that she wasn't a vocal pedagogue. Oh, oh she, no! She was she was a lovely lady who who studied music herself. Um, she played the piano and she taught me how to sing songs. She taught me things well that every young singer needs to learn. For example, how, you know, how to sing a phrase and how to be 
you know, where to breathe and, and, and just to be musical and those sorts of things. But when it came to how to produce a sound, and for young singers, that's a whole, a whole, a whole other conversation. Yeah. But, but really, even after my voice change, um, <clears throat> the repertoire that she had given me was completely inappropriate for, wow. for a young teenager to be singing. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Absolutely. Wait, oh, that's okay. Yeah. So, so did that kind of ruin the whole lesson experience for you? No, or, because or I was naive. I, just, I was like one of these guys, you give it to me, I'll sing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, as a boy, I was singing repertoire-wise uh, a lot of good things. I mean, again, as a, as a, as a boy soprano, um, the repertoire was good. She was Scottish. Okay. Um, she knew that I was fluent in German, so I sang a lot of German folk songs, a lot of Scottish folk songs, oh. a lot of, you know, the sort of basic RCM sort of repertoire from the books and that sort right. of stuff. So the repertoire was all good and healthy, and, and there was nothing wrong with what I was being taught. But there was so much that was probably missing, oh. I think. Um, and And... I didn't know I was going to be a singer or right. pursue singing until I was 21. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. So, but I took lessons the whole time with this, with the same teacher, which is perhaps another thing that we can talk about mm -hmm. is that, you know, how long do you stay with one teacher? Because I mean, from age eight to age 21, that's a lot. That's a years. long time. But I mean, at some point it was, a, it was a hobby and nothing else. And right. it was something that came naturally. I had if I can say that, a bit of a talent or a gift for. Mm -hmm. um, so I was happy doing it. I went every week for my lessons. I learned new songs. I went through high school. I went into university to study psychology. Um, I still did it, you know, until I was 21 years old. And then um, the trigger point for me was I met uh, an adjudicator at one of the festivals who uh, was not recruiting. He was very ethical in that regard, but he... He really talked to me in a way uh, about, made me think about my singing in a different mm. way and made me, made me seriously consider, you know, what I had and what a gift it was and whether or not that's something to follow up on. And I lived with that for almost a year and it kept eating away at me. And as I was finishing up my psychology degree, I, I said to myself, I can do this and go on and do my master's degree in clinical psychology was just the direction I wanted to go in or I could go and do my music degree and I knew that if I followed that path with music I could always come if it wasn't gonna work out I could always go back and do my grad studies later but I knew that if I followed the grad studies in psychology there's probably no go. going back into music so 21 years old was quite late to start a bachelor of music degree I mean most of the kids these days are you know they're younger yeah um, but I just jumped in and I, and, I, and I moved away. I moved to University of Alberta in Edmonton and, and started a music degree. Wow. Yeah. And you've never looked back. Well, <laughs> kind of not. But I mean, it's just because, again, it's just the way the cards fell. Right. You know, it was, you, you set yourself goals and, and sometimes unexpected things happen. And, you know, you had mentioned that I had studied in Europe. One of the reasons that happened was simply because I won a competition that gave me a scholarship to study overseas. And had that not happened you know at the time when i finished my bachelor's degree i was you know applying at the time the big thing to do is to apply to the band school of arts right and u of t and those sorts of places and um this europe thing happened and it was uh um it was something that i i just you know you don't turn that down when that falls in your lap so away i went and again it was another eye-opening experience another whole change in in mm -hmm. in how 
vocal technique was understood perhaps by me as opposed to was it different over there like the way they approach singing? well yes mm. uh but it depends i mean again the the technique that i was taught was um and i'm going to be careful how i say this you mm-hmm. can edit yep. this part out afterwards mm-hmm. but um, there was a there's a whole group of teachers here in Canada uh, who studied in a place in Germany called Detmold, okay. and uh, with a teacher who was quite renowned, and um, it it produces a slightly more aggressive and throaty sound, and it was not something that I was successful with, although some people seem to manage with it. And again, it all depends on physiology and that's Mm -hmm. something else we can talk about afterwards. But, um, the whole like concept of singing in the mask and resonating and getting, Mm -hmm. you know, using all that frontal resonance was not even introduced to me in my whole undergrad, you know? So when I got to Europe, it was like my teacher sort of looked at me and he says, well, you know, you're a pretty good singer, but there's a lot you still, you don't know. And, and that was sort of devastating because right. I graduate, you know, from, from a relatively big university in Canada. I mean, you know, what's well, not U of T or anything, but U of A was producing, you know, big music school, producing some decent musicians. <clears throat> and I win the scholarship and all of this other stuff to go study overseas. So I think I'm doing just fine. But I was naive. Right. I was naive. I was naive a lot of the way through. Mm-hmm. Like I said, when I was a teenager singing some of the repertoire that I was given, they gave it to me, I sang it. Right. But it wasn't something um, that, I guess in some ways, I'm not, a, I'm not the same singer that is coming out of the system today. Mm. Those singers that I, that, I, that I am teaching today and the singers that I see are really succeeding are already in high school uh, much more knowledgeable and much more curious than mm. I ever was. Right. Um, I sang because I like to sing and that's, mm. that's probably the best reason to sing, mm-hmm. but I wasn't curious about pedagogy. I wasn't curious about repertoire. I wasn't curious. I just sort of did it, you know? Do you think that's because of like the internet now Like students have like immediate access <clears throat> to see and watch and hear things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm, but even, even as a young singer, before I did my music degree, I wasn't even that interested in like when when the Met was showing operas on TV. Right. You, know, on, you like weren't interested in that. I didn't care. <laughs> I could care. In fact, when I started my bachelor of music degree, I even said to myself, "I have no desire to be an opera singer. That doesn't interest me at all. I I I liked singing leader and art song, and and that was what attracted me far more in the world of singing. Right. There was an elegance and a refinement about it that I found much more appealing." the whole transition into singing opera happened because I got a part-time job singing with the chorus for the Edmonton <laughs> Opera Association. And I, this was a, a very clear memory for me is when I stood on stage in my first, one of my first chorus gigs and the lights are on you and you're in one of these giant auditoriums and the orchestra's playing and there was this baritone. He was Hungarian or something. I don't remember his name anymore. And he was just an amazing singer. And I was standing probably three feet behind him. And I was just watching how physical this was and, and what an amazing voice was just filling this room. And I remember saying to myself at the time, I was like, oh my God, this is something I've got to learn how to do. Wow. And that was the transition into appreciating opera in a whole different way. We're talking about boys' voices today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, What's the youngest age uh, male singer that you have in your studio you've worked with or you like to work with? 
What's your age ranges? Um, eight is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I have taken a younger student. It really depends on their skills mm-hmm. in terms of reading and, right. and how good their ear is. I, I mean, there are students that I've... I've told parents, I said, you know what, bring them back in a year because mm-hmm. I don't think they're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get a sense right. of what they're able to do and and, and that sort of thing. But um, eight tends to be quite a consistently good age where they understand what you want mm-hmm. and the voice produces a nice clear tone and, and, and it's starting to open up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's not the, dare I say, a little munchkin voice that, you know, right. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the chords are growing every year, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the voice starts to open up. So, yeah, I find eight is a really nice age where you can start doing things with them. Nice. Now, do you approach, just generally speaking, like female and male students a little differently? or Pre-voice change, I would say it's pretty much the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't see a reason to, to teach them any differently. It's, right. it's, it's, you're, you're teaching them good fundamental skills mm-hmm. at that point, yeah. Yeah, and then when you start to hear, when they get, you know, to mm-hmm. pre, pre-puberty, right? Like, right. Do you, do you talk to them? Do you say, hey, this is what's going to happen soon? Or oh, yeah, Do you absolutely. have those conversations? For sure, for sure. Right? And, and, you know, every kid reacts differently. Some of them are like, oh, yeah, and others, you get they get a little, like, squirmy and whatnot. But I do the same thing with girls, you know. Right. I, I mean, I, I, as a guy, if anything, as a male teacher, it's harder sometimes, and girls will feel much more uncomfortable. But, mm. but it's interesting, when, especially if I've had a student for a number of years before puberty, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I talk to the girls and I say, you know, things are going to start changing. And when you, yeah. And when you start having your period and your menstrual cycle, the hormone flux is going to have an effect on, on your singing. Right. And, and most of them are like, they, and they are very relaxed and open about it, which is, I think a, a new generation thing yes. to perhaps the way parents are raising their kids. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, you know, when I was a kid, if, if a male teacher said that to a girl, that would have been. Like a lawsuit. Well, <laughs> it might have been, yeah. Um, but with the boys, it's it's uh, you just sort of deal with it, and 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 there's such a big age range where it can mm. happen. Um, I've had, you know, I've had a boy who was in grade seven, so he would have been maybe twelve, and he was already full blown baritone when he really? came into my studio. Like twelve years 12 old. Twelve years old. The voice dropped. And was it a quick change or did I, I didn't, I didn't teach him through the change, oh, but I I'm see. just saying they can, you know, at, at 11, the voice can already start to change. And yeah. for some boys, it can happen as late as 14. Right. So it re- there's a big window there, you know, of, right. of, of, of several years. Um, you asked me earlier about myself, my teacher at the time, I think didn't know what to do. So her idea was, it's time to take a year off because oh. your voice is changing and I'm going to teach you theory for a year. So I oh, came well, in weekly okay, for theory enough. lessons <laughs> and, and she just sort of avoided the whole, you know, right. dealing with it. And then after a year, you know, cause my voice would start to break and crack on the high notes. And I was a, I was a high soprano as a boy baritone mm. and, and a boy soprano, I should say. Um, I sang, you know, quite high. And when the voice starts to crack and break on those notes, it was a clear indication and it just sort of actually even fit in that school year sort of thing. By the by, the end of the summer, you know, there was no way I was producing that sound anymore. So she just said, let's just study theory for a year. So she avoided you know, dealing with it. And then I came back a year later and it was, it was, a, it was a young baritone voice to start working with. Um, but I, I've recently had a young guy who, uh, who's made the transition so seamlessly. Really? It's, it was quite surprising. And, and I've been... Um, playing with different ideas of, of, of how, you know, how to deal with where is that voice going and what, what can we keep going? For example, 
it, he had a treble voice that was completely uh, unremarkable, if okay. I can if I can say that mm -hmm. in the kindest way. It was he had a lot of sort of scratchy, harsh sound, and it was just it was it was the chords. It was it was mm -hmm. the way he was producing the sound, and it was he was a smart kid, mm -hmm. and he studied violin, and so he was like picked all the all the ear training, all of that stuff was like smooth as, as anything and just he picked it all up very very quickly learned repertoire quickly um but the way he would produce his sound and he knew that this was something that he didn't have a beautiful voice hmm. and and it would upset him to the point where if he if anything else happened like if he did forget some words in a recital he'd be in tears afterwards. oh dear and <clears throat> as the voice started to slowly drop, and it really was such a gradual thing. I could just tell by the way he was approaching the chest register in the lower range of his songs. And at one point, we just, one one lesson about a year and a half ago, he's in grade eight now, mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago, we just sort of said, all right, we're just gonna sing all of this an octave lower. Oh, wow. And, and but it was, it had to, and this is the key, I think, for teaching any of these boys through the transition. It, you're going to be transposing music almost every other week. Yes. You know? Um, our friend Marnie Kirsten, I don't know if you know her, she I, refers it to uh, she refers to it as the change of Palooza. Yeah. And she has everything on the computer and will often go tone, semitone, up, down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes wish I, I, I had more of that because it, <laughs> it was a struggle because I'm not right. a pianist and I, and I don't do a lot of accompanying in my lessons. Um, but just working on, on the repertoire with him. Um, but the beautiful thing is he, every week, there was never that point where the voice literally cracked or wow. broke and it was, he was always producing a sound. Did the sound get nicer? Oh, and this is the thing. Within a year, he, he sat out, like we do three studio recitals a year where, where I teach and, uh, he sat out for a couple of those. So it had been a year since the other students and parents in the studio I had heard, heard him yeah. sing. And he came back the year that he wanted to sing. And I gave him Aaron Copeland's, uh, he had the set of American folk songs, um, The Boatman's Dance. I don't oh, know if you know yes, that song. Oh, yes, I do. And I love that song. it was, he was in, so this, he's in grade seven now, mm -hmm. still young. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I want to touch on something else about that afterwards. But... In, in, I gave it to him in the tenor key, the high voice key. And so he's singing the high G's and A's and he's just like, I roll a bobbin's dance. And he's just, and the whole audience was like, <laughs> I, like, where did this come from? And, and, and we were all like, even you know, I was, I was quite pleasantly stunned right. by this beautiful tone that came out and it just happened. It mm. just happened. And I'm a firm believer that, and, and you, you may not like this answer, but I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do this. And, and we are really, what we have to deal with is a, a real mix of nature versus nurture. We don't know what those singers are going to be born with or what it's going to develop into. At the same time as this young guy is developing into this beautiful lyric tenor voice, um, I, I was recalling as I was preparing sort of thoughts for, for this interview, when I was studying in Europe, the teacher that I was with was working with a young guy who was probably 16 or 17, mm -hmm. who was a former v uh, Vienna choir boy mm. and had, and, and I mean, if you know anything about that group, it's very pure, it's very selective, yeah. you know, high level boys choir. 
So they have those pure ringing high voice, mm -hmm. uh, soprano treble voices. And yet the transition for him was, ho was horrible. Like, mm. I mean, the, he, he, it was, you could almost tell that this boy was not going to become a singer wow. because it just, the voice Didn't after work. change was not going to have the range or even the quality of tone was not a beautiful sound. Mm. You don't know what you have before. And what it's, it's like, it's the, it's the cocoon butterfly whole thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes <laughs> That's a great analogy, they, they, yeah. They could come out as a moth or they could come out <laughs> as a butterfly. And, and I don't mean that in a mean it, way, nope, but you nope. just don't know what you're going to get. And you can't, as you well know, you can't teach every kid the same way. There nope. is no formula for teaching. So it's one of the beautiful things I love about this job, to be honest with you, is that, mm. you know, we have so many different voices and different characters and they all grow into something different. And there's no way you can just sort of do rote teaching. No, uh, it just no. doesn't work. Um, so what I did with this young fellow who uh, who I'm I'm still working with is I gave him a piece of repertoire which will which I will not name. Okay. Um, because I think a lot of teachers would find uh, it unacceptable. Mm. But I'm going to say this. I, it was okay, I, I will say that it was a. a a lyric tenor opera aria. Okay. okay. That's all I'm going to say for, for Mozart repertoire. Okay. Okay. Now and we got to play the guessing game. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. All right. I want to do, and I told him what I was doing. Okay. I said to him, I want to teach you this piece of music and I want us to sing it very, very easily and very, very gently. I want, and he, and so we sang through it a few times and it was all there. Wow. Because the Mozart stuff doesn't go higher than an A, mm -hmm. and and he had it all comfortably in his range. There was no need to ever push, mm -hmm. and I wanted what I wanted to do was I wanted to know if if we learn this piece of music without ever the idea of performing it was not even mm -hmm. on the on the plate, but learn this piece of music, and every few weeks just bring it back, because we don't know how the voice is going to continue to change. Right. Will you be able to sustain that ease of production that you have somehow fallen into? Mm. I mean, let's, I mean, hopefully some of it had to do with the technique and everything else that I'm sort of teaching him how to, how to sing, but can you, can you sustain that? And, and we don't know where the voice is going. So will you be able to sort of keep that? Cause I want to know if it really was a tenor voice. Mm. And if so, th there's a there's a, a simple naivety to young people when they don't overthink and make things mm -hmm. too complicated. Yes. Again, they can they just sometimes do. Mm -hmm. And the way he sang that Copeland song as uh, just as one of his pieces was just like he just opened his mouth and kind of did it. Up. This is this is a year ago now actually that I gave him this piece of music. He he can no longer sing it. In fact, it didn't last four months. So you used that piece to see how the voice want, was going to mature? Yes. Okay. Because I want to know, can, can, if, if this voice remains tenor, the way he is singing it right now, I just, I just want to play with it, with the idea at first. And he sang that piece because again, it's Mozart and there was nothing big and dramatic about it. Uh, he sang it with such ease. I think a lot of a lot of tenors in the real world would have been, you know, almost a little bit jealous with how <laughs> how he produced the sound on this piece. And I uh, I just wanted to know, keep can he keep that? If he's going to be a tenor, 
remember that, sort of build it into muscle memory, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So that someday when, if he does become a singer, that, that will be one of those things he could shake out of his sleeve any point in time, and it would be like the most natural thing. Um, but it became clear, even after four months, that the voice was continuing to, to drop. drop. So now, here we are a year later, and he's a baritone. Oh, he's he a is? Baritone. Absolutely. So really? we, we left that piece alone very, very mm. quickly. Um, he, but, but, again... I, as a baritone, after voice change, for me, singing an E above middle C was a challenge. Oh, okay. Right? He is still singing. Like, he's, he's, he, he could almost get down to the low G that, that a baritone or a bass has. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not quite there, but his A is there. But he can sing E's, F's. He can still sing a G above, which I wouldn't have dreamt. I didn't <laughs> dream of doing until well into my 20s, singing right. it the right way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So this is where teaching kids through the voice change and not making something bigger or seem more difficult than it is. I think mm-hmm. stopping and then having to relearn how to use the voice is a, is a mistake. Is a mistake. Yeah. Is a mistake. Just, so you need a teacher that's comfortable working you through and appreciates that the voice is changing and that we need to explore. We need to explore. And that is that that using that aria that I used is is not something I would have done with almost any other student. Right. I, I want to reiterate that. It it's I had somebody who had the vocal skill to do it, wasn't going to hurt himself, was intelligent mm. and yeah, he wasn't he, yeah, I just thought I, I knew that it was the right choice for that kid, and that is not a choice I would have made for virtually any other kid. But that's the beauty of private teaching, and and, and that's what I love about private teaching is that we can look at each individual, mm-hmm. and if we're really, really, you know, together on the same page, mm-hmm. we can make decisions that we would for mm-hmm. one and not for another. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than you know a chorus, and you all have to sing the same song, and mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a that's an amazing story. You you just used the word chorus. Yes. I think choir singing. Yes. Is detrimental for a lot of young <gasps> singers. Tell me why. I'm teaching a number of kids who have been in choirs, both in this city and other cities. So they're quite well known youth choirs, mm-hmm. and. First of all, they spend way too many hours rehearsing when they rehearse. Um, when they're preparing for concerts, they're, they have these marathon rehearsals. Kids come burnt out when they come back to lessons. They've developed so many bad habits. Uh, and after the voice change, mm. if they're still singing, which is, which is a good thing, you know, but when they come back and... It's been my experience over the last few years, especially, I've been preparing a number of young singers for university entrance. Mm-hmm. And they're still doing the sort of young male choir versions of the... Of the, of the children's of the choruses. Ensembles, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to sing into the top of the voice. They let everything fall into falsetto as soon as it becomes even remotely uncomfortable. Because, first of all, they have to blend. Right. They breathe anywhere and everywhere Mm. because it's choral singing Mm. and it's all about staggered breathing but to the point where they breathe in the middle of words and you would think common sense would dictate that you shouldn't do that but but i've seen it over and Mm -hmm. over and over again wow um so i think 
kids have to be careful when, when it comes to, I think the number of parents who, who have said to me, uh, you know, little Johnny is, is, uh, is going to stop taking lessons. Um, he's, he's enjoying his singing in the choir and that's great. And that's all we want to do for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a mistake. Okay. I think kids who do sing in choirs should be taking lessons. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anybody who plays in a youth orchestra that doesn't take a lesson on their instrument. Right. That, right? that drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, so why should a singer not learn how to use their instrument properly? And yes, when I tell all of my students, when you're in choir and when you're singing as a soloist, which is what I'm teaching you how to do, you're wearing two different hats mm-hmm. and you have to know how to do things differently. And yes, you have to listen to your conductors. But there are intelligent ways to sing your music so that you don't get vocally tired, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And phrasing and breathing and diction and all of these things that can just sort of get lost when you're in an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and not ev- I'm not saying all of them do this, but I've just seen mm-hmm. it happen with more and more of the guys that I teach. More so than with the girls. Don't ask me why. No, I've, I've experienced that with girls as well. In yeah. fact, Anne Barnshaw and I were talking about this the other day. Um, we had a mutual student who was studying piano with Anne and voice with me, and she was preparing for university vocal programs. Mm-hmm. And she, again, singing in one of the you know highly recognized and very, you know, well-established children's choruses Mm -hmm. and we had a really hard time finding solo voice as opposed to choral voice. Mm -hmm. The last one that who is now studying uh, at one of the universities here in Ontario, uh, I I spent a a year talking him out of being in that choir Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it finally at, at the Christmas before university auditions, so only three months before auditions, he finally stopped singing in the choir. Mm. And we made the most progress vocally within that time. Wow. Like things, granted, you know, p- pieces of the puzzle start coming together anyway, but I think just having removed that layer of um, bad habits and fatigue and all of the other stuff uh, really helped him open up. And I was really pleased. It just sort of affirmed that we have to have, we should reinforce young singers who are in choirs with good vocal teachers just for fun. And I don't know if this anecdote is worth anything, but I started with my own class because I have a lot of students who aren't in choirs as well. Singing in an ensemble is is a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So about three years ago for Christmas one year, I said, my whole studio, let's learn a couple of Christmas tunes. And we did them in SSA or in three-part harmony. And we never had time just by everybody's schedule to have an ensemble rehearsal. So what I did was I took five, five to 10 minutes out of everybody's lesson and I would teach them their part and I would teach them how to sing it properly. And the day of the recital, 10 minutes before a recital began, <laughs> quite literally, yep. for the first time, everybody sang together as a group. And it was amazing how it sounded. And the feedback I get, I mean, you can't obviously do that when you when you have real choirs. Right. But, but it was so much, it, it was just so obvious that teaching somebody their part and what they need to sing and how to sing it as There's an so individual. There's so many details. There are. 
teaching them how to sing as an, an ensemble is another whole thing. And yes, I could have spent a lot of hours really, you know, fine tuning things, but they all knew kind of what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it really is only meant to be sort of a fun exercise in right. learning how to sing a part and learning how to sing with someone beside you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's how now for the last three years, I end every recital I pick a song, and it can be anything. For the last thing, it was an East Coast uh, folk ballad that was written in three-part harmony. Um, I did the Beatles, let a uh, version of the Beatles, let it be oh, a number nice. of years ago. I mean, you know, it's just it's learning how to sing in parts and learning how to use use your voice and sing your part in a good and healthy way. I love it. How do you find that some boys it takes them longer for things to settle, um, and and some boys it's really quick to change it does um i'm going to touch on something that may be um i don't know a touchy subject i don't know but anyway that's what podcasts are all about my friend um i also teach vocal music uh for middle school kids at a private school in london okay so and that is all ensemble singing so it's 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 uh but the thing about the school is vocal music has been part of the program from their kindergarten years all the way through. So the boys, when I get them for grade six, seven, and eight, they've been singing the whole time. This is not... It's they not may something not, they're not allowed to... It's not even... It's just normal for them. Right. And they may not all like singing, and they may. some of them may say they're not very good at it, and, and a lot of them are starting to go through puberty and the whole thing, so it's, it's, I get it's a mixed bag of tricks. But generally speaking... It's, I'm not fighting that, oh, I don't want to sing in the choir. Like, if you did that in your average public school in grade seven, you would have so much resistance from the boys, it's not even funny. So, being a private school, we have uh, a lot of ethnic diversity in the school. Right. Perhaps more so than in other schools. Okay. And one of the things that I've found, and this is just a curious observation more than anything, uh, is that Asian boys tend to change voice more quickly at an earlier age. And I've seen it over and over again <clears throat> to the point where one year, uh, just by, by, by the ethnic population of the school, um, my choir had, I think, four or five changed boys in grade eight so that I could do SATB work in a, wow. in a, in a middle school choir. So that I had four or five full-fledged baritone voices in there, which is, which is pretty unusual. Uh-huh. And they were all Asian kids. And and I've been I've been teaching at this school for six years now, and I just see the pattern consistently, over and over again. Hmm. Now I don't know what that what that means or where that where where I can take that for you, but that's one of those. It's just an interesting observation. It is an interesting observation. Um, teaching boys how to sing, and 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 I don't want this to be coming across as sexist, but I took over the position at that school, for example, from a woman who had been there for ten years. Hmm. So. You have your classroom teaching for grade six, seven, and eight, which I do all day long, mm-hmm. uh, one day a week there. And at lunchtime, we have the senior choir, which is the sort of extracurricular. It's for the kids who just want to sing in choir, and you know they all like if they whatever kids have their interests in. Um, so I get usually the best singers wanting to join senior choir. Mm-hmm. And when I took over that choir, there were no boys mm. in that senior choir it was basically an all-girls choir and I had talked to some of the boys about joining senior choir and I think the first year I had five Hmm. we're talking a voice a choir between that can fluctuate anywhere between 30 and 40 kids this year after six years 
I've got 15 out of 45 boys. It's amazing. Yeah. But I think, it, I mean, a lot of it is that, that you but welcome them. And, and I do welcome them. But they, I think to some degree, it helps when they see a male singing mm-hmm. in front of them in class. And it's, you, and, and like you said, you, you welcome them, you welcome the right kids. And then all of a sudden, other kids see it and they go, wow. Yeah. So and so's and it just sort of it's opens like a peer the door, pressure. or it, release, it releases the peer right. pressure, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Now, do you think it's important for uh, a you know a boy's voice who's changing to work with a teacher of the same uh, range, same I guess the fach? For a lot of boys, probably. Yeah. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not not at all. So it depends on the, on the singer. It depends on the singer. Um, I mean, post change, like really after the change, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of boys I have found want to hear what it should sound mm-hmm. like. And I'm not one of those teachers who does a lot of singing in the studio. But every once in a while, I think all teachers try and sing an example of what mm-hmm. they want things to sound like or how to you know, what it is to create an open sound or, you know, we, we open up and we make a sound where the throat is too open and whatnot. But they 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 want to hear something. Oh, I'm going to slightly go off topic here for a moment. Sure. One of the things that I found with, with people who have pitch problems, mm. and I'm, I don't know, you can tell me what you think of this, but you play a note on the piano. Do students who have pitch problems sometimes can't find that pitch? Yet, I can sing the same pitch. And then they and they'll match it perfectly. Yeah. They're matching it because what they hear is somehow relates with the, the, with the their brain, instrument. With their instrument, but the brain acknowledges it differently. Mm. They're not just hearing a pitch. It's the sound and the way that sound is produced. Well, that leads me into a next question. Do you find that when boys' voices are changing, um, they have a hard time finding pitches like because like sometimes what what my my colleague mim suggested when she's working with boys sometimes she plays at the octave Mm -hmm. so she lets them choose Mm -hmm. so that they can hear the high and the low Mm -hmm. and then find what's comfortable for them and and that's something that i've actually thought would actually be useful because often if i sing sometimes for my boys then all of a sudden they'll start singing in their falsetto i'll be like no 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 and then i sing down the octave which is not my voice range and then they're like oh that's what you mean so she suggests playing at the octave and letting them choose what do you think of that yeah i I just again you know it it really depends on the kid i think you can hear when they know they know when mm-hmm. when they can't sustain the upper register anymore and mm. but they're still wanting to because that's just the way it's always been right and and sometimes you have to convince them because the notes are there an octave lower for right. them um so yeah sometimes you do have to let them choose but that's where the whole transposition thing and whatever it is that they're singing has to sit in a range where the tra- they shouldn't have to think so much about mm. do i go up or do i go down if right. it's in the right key it, and, and, and let's and and I guess, you know, if you want to talk about choosing repertoire, um, without without coming up with examples at the moment, but choose things that don't have a wide range, mm. you know. Okay. So something with maybe within the octave, possibly, mm-hmm. and then put it in a key where it's just going to fit. And like right. I said, you're going to notice, especially with those boys, sometimes every other week, 
<laughs> you're going to have to drop it down and yeah. you're going to have to drop it down again because all of a sudden the top's not there anymore or the bottom's opening up even a little bit more. And you just want them to, whatever it is they're doing, to do it easily mm-hmm. and naturally and never try. Because some boys, and I, I know I remember this because I remember my teacher even told me this. Um, when, it, when I knew my voice was starting to change, I was like, I really wanted to into the chest because <laughs> I knew I could make because like I could make a too. sound down there right, right. and then, so we like that 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 making that big beefy sound so it's really about just saying no relax into the bottom Roland fix thank you my favorite baritone thank you so much for joining me today the conversation has been amazing not I, I'm, I'm sure uh, other teachers listening to this are gonna find it incredibly helpful for my own teaching studio for my own students I definitely feel uh, a lot more confident, and I have some more strategies, and uh, I, uh, I definitely will like to, would like to have you come back. Thank you, Nikki. We'll talk about something else. Absolutely. You can pick the topic, topic next time. Mm. What do you want to talk about next time? Let me sleep on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you so much. So. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.